Hi, this is Ty France, and you're listening to Briars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. My head is spinning like a baseball right now. Talk about to the walls, man. Talk about ball, yarn, and pills, and leather, and stitching, and weights, and coefficient of restitution. Way over my like, I felt drunk listening to her just going, just talking about it, and um, it's it's incredible, it, it, it's amazing, and it's a little bit not scary, but just a little nefarious on Major League Baseball's part. But uh, what we're talking about is we uh we just got done talking to Meredith Wills, um, who who just had the data that uh was the emphasis of the article by Bradford. Bradford William Davis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The full name. I don't have it on in front of me, um, but we just spent a good 30, 40 minutes talking to her about her article in the data and all that encompassed and some of the stuff that wasn't in the article and just wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. MLB using different balls in different ballparks, different times of the year, special events. Who knows? Maybe, Who knows maybe what's we really use in there? Slim Shady. I'm the real Shady. I'm the Slim Shady. Maybe that should have been there. <laughs> Oh, but in the meantime, we do have some some Padres news to cover, dude. And I was really stoked to see this. And this is, you know, written about in the media. We signed the Padres signed Seth Lugo. Yeah, I thought, yeah. The, I thought the, the the money was good. Two years at just over seven, uh, 15 million. Uh, he can opt out after one year. He's probably going to be a starter. Seven and a half million dollars for what for each year. Um, I think it's good money. I, I think it's high Low risk, high reward. Another signing like that, and if he turns out to be, you know, if they they turn him into a, a, a the, the not the beginner, but you know, if they have like a piggyback situation with him and uh, Edgy Morahone or or Jay Groom or anyone else to kind of like have him be a opener, like that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a good chance to go into the season with a six man rotation, so he could be the guy that starts like through the end of June or something like that. Right. Um, and as the sixth man, you don't need to rely on him to go six innings every five days. If he gives you four innings, turns the lineup over a couple of times and hands it to the bullpen, you're in pretty good shape because you know, the starter coming up the next day is going to be well-rested. So I really like this. And then late in the season, he can slide into a bullpen role. He's got experience in the, in the postseason, and he's been a starter before. Yeah. Um, he's got five pitches. He throws right now. He's like fastball, curveball, and slider, but he's also got a changeup and a sinker. Um, that if you look back when he was starting back in 2020 and then like what 2016 and 15, he threw the changeup a lot more often. Um, did you know that he has a nickname? I didn't know that. No, Le Spinny Curveball Man. They spin a curveball, man. Did they get that in the winter league? How, where did they get that in spring? I, I think it came from some some art, some <laughs> video. Maybe it was from a pitching ninja thing. I don't know. But he's got the highest spin rate curveball of pretty much anybody in baseball. Uh, it can make people look silly when he lands it. Well, you know, and, and the particulars of the deal aren't aren't out yet, but I guarantee you it's going to be something like they did with Nick Martinez. And I think it's so um, refreshing, a new way to look at, at, at contracts where like, okay, if you had these many starts, you pitch these many, uh, you know, you make these many starts, pitch these many innings as a starter, you get a money. If you pitch these many innings uh, out of the bullpen, you get B money. Like there's money guaranteed if he starts or if he's in the bullpen, which is great because some players, 
you know, as as minimal as as Nick Martinez was last year, some pitchers and Luga wants to start. You know, they're not so hip on going to the bullpen or going from the bullpen to starting or from starting to the bullpen. Um, I like it. Right. And with the opt out after the first year, if he comes out and establishes himself as a starter, as we've seen, starting pitching has been getting crazy money. Yeah. What if Mike Clevenger got like $12 million for yeah. one year? Um, and so, I mean, not to dump on Mike Clevenger, he's a talented guy, but the performance just that we saw Doesn't, last year didn't support that kind of money. Right. But now if he goes out and he puts in 20 plus starts and shows that he can hand, hold the job down, then yeah, absolutely. Go get paid. Uh, thank you for your service. But in the meantime, I, I love this deal. I'm, I'm stoked to have the guy. So I, I think with that, they're really going to be able to sign that extra bat. And if it's Drury, I'm all stoked for us getting Drury back. He might be, you know, after his comeback year, he might be a little expensive, might need a couple more years in maybe a two-year deal with a player option or opt-out or whatever. But I think go get him. Make him your fourth outfielder, and he can move around the diamond. NDH, let's go. I, I don't know if Brandon Drury wants to take a job where he's bounced around, where he doesn't have an established role, or he's not right. necessarily guaranteed you know, a starter's workload. I think I think he's looking to get paid, and I think he's looking to to play a lot. Right, right, right. So the guy that I've got my eye on is Michael Conforto. Lefty bat, can play a corner outfield. He missed all the last year for various reasons, but when he's on, man, he is one of the best bats in the league. So do you think we can get him on a uh, you know on a show me deal on a one year deal or maybe a two year deal with uh you know with some kind of options there where the money is there or, you know incentive laced or incentive laden contract that that seems to be Preller's mo and so you know, it, it, for a hitter to come to Peco Park that's kind of asking a lot uh, but yeah throw the money down there give him one year let him go prove it and then he can go uh, you know go chase it after that I don't know. I, I, they do need, I think they need two bats. Um, and then I'd like to see him get another starting pitcher, but we're at this point, we're kind of, I see people just getting so hyped up. Like they need to do something now. They need to get a pitcher right. now. And it's like, there's still two months until pitchers and catchers report. There's a lot yeah. that can happen between now and then. Yeah. And and let Preller do what Preller does best. And that's blow our minds. Just blow oh, our yeah. minds. Just blow okay. Up. So the last time he like full on blew our minds before the Soto deal was when he went out and he got you Darvish and Blake Snell on the same day. And then about, about a month later, he went out and got Joe Musgrove. And this happened at the end of December and in the middle of January. So the trade season has just barely started to heat up. It's like once all the free agents, the, the marquee free agents are off the market, then that's when the trades start happening. Absolutely. It'd be an exciting and couple months. Yeah, it is. And with all the money that's gone out this offseason, um, you gotta wonder how that's gonna play into it. And like the like it was really nice to see only seven and a half million given to Seth Lugo, because you said it today on Twitter is like that could easily have been a ten million dollar deal. Oh yeah. Yeah, year. and and at the same time, they're looking at the salary, the the luxury tax uh plateaus, you know, because every twenty million dollars there's an increase in this the 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 sub fees that they wind up having to pay. So how deep are they willing to go? I yeah. I don't know, but we've got an owner that's been on record saying he's going to spend to put a winning product out there and he's going to continue to spend. This isn't just some flash in the pan, yeah. all in attempt. He's going to, he wants to sustain this level of spending and it's just what an amazing time to be a Padres fan. Absolutely. So let's move on to some minor league news. 
Yeah, so we got a bunch of minor league transactions, and I know it's a little bit quiet on the news front right now. Uh, but I like keeping a keeping tabs on on who the Padres are bringing in. Some of these guys may contribute at the major league level. Some of them are just minor league transactions. Um, the Padres released Gil, uh, a couple of catchers, Gilberto Vizcarra and Matias Polanco. Vizcarra played seventy one games in Lake Elsinore in twenty twenty one. Polanco never made it above complex ball. Um, yeah, every year the Padres, they you get guys that reach right. free agency because they've timed out with the organization, guys that retire. Um, one way or another, they need to make room for the people that are coming in. I um, loved watching Vizcarra this last year. He was fun to watch. Uh, he was in twenty twenty one. Twenty one. God, there was another catcher, the young catcher that that I watched this year and. Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. Right? Uh, I thought that was the same guy. No, that was a different guy. Anyway, so back on the 12th, Jeff Sanders announced, guess who's back? Anderson Espinoza returning to the Padres on a minor league deal. He had back-to-back Tommy John surgeries and was traded to the Cubs since he was the org's top prospect heading into 17. Um, Dennis Lynn said Espinoza finally made it to the majors in 2022, logging a 5.4 ERA and seven relief appearances with the Cubs. He was traded to the Cubs for, and I just had to say Jake Marisnik. Yeah. That, that fourth outfielder in uh, the disappointing trade deadline, or we're like, are we going to get this guy? Are we going to get that guy? Oh, we got Jake Marisnik. And then then he's playing for the, uh, the South Bend Cubs. So he, we watched. I watched him pitch against us like a week later after pitching. Oh, against, did you? <laughs> he pitched for us, and then like a week later, he he was with the South Bend Cubs and pitched against for uh, pitched against Fort Wayne like a week later. And we'll, well just we forget how days. young these guys are. I think yeah. Anderson Espinosa is still just twenty three. Yeah. So I mean, and he, and I'm trying to type this in um, to get his actual age, so I'm not lying. He's twenty four. Um, but he spent seven years in minor league baseball, so timed out as far as the uh, the team control goes, became yeah. a minor league free agent. And so it's cool that he's back with the Padres. Um, then a, a little later on the 12th, Jeff Sanders again reported that there were three other minor league deals. Uh, uh, Preston Tucker, an outfielder, uh, Drew Carlton, right-handed pitcher, and another right-handed pitcher, Henry Henry. H2 we know, back. We know Henry Henry well. Yeah. So they converted so, him to... He was a minor league deal because he ran. He's now a minor league free agent. We signed him back to a deal. They converted him to a starter last year, the second half of last year. I think that will continue. And if if him, you know, if Henry can make it, and we talked to Raul Padron a couple of years back where he was talking about Henry Henry, that, that's a major league pitcher. Oh yeah, is he, there, is he there yet? Not yet. But now that they've converted him to a starter. You know, that might be a little more of a fast track to him to get up maybe later next season, uh, maybe even in 24. But certainly there's a lot to like with him becoming a starter. Well, as a as a minor league free agent at this point, it's one year deals for the most part. Every once in a while you hear about a two year minor league deal, but usually it's just a one year deal. Uh, Preston Tucker, um, he's 32 years old, so a little on the older side for a minor league um, signing. he played in the major leagues in 2015, 16, and 18. Uh, played in the KBO in 2019, 20, and 21. And we know that the Padres do a lot of scouting over there. Uh, and then 2022, he spent with Atlanta in their AAA team. Uh, batted 267, 347 with a 426 slugging. Um, and then Drew Carlton, he's 27. And he played in the majors in 2021 and 22 with Detroit. He only made it into nine games. Um but you never know, you know, and that's right. A team needs depth. You need to stash yeah. guys in in El Paso, 
Um, you, just because you never know when somebody's going to get injured, somebody in the minors is going to get hot. Somebody pulls a Brandon Dixon and goes crazy and earns their way onto the roster right. late in the season because you have a need. You never know. So moving on. Uh, right-handed pitcher Paul Brito, 25-year-old, signed from the he's from the Dominican Republic. Um, spent the his minor league career with Miami. He only made it to high A, but a right-handed pitcher brought into the the organization. Uh, but then also on the 15th, Aaron Brooks was signed, and this is a nice. very different kind of a dude. Turns 33 in April, so again a veteran. He's seen MLB action in parts of five seasons with the Royals, uh, the. Oakland, Baltimore, and St. Louis in 2014, 15, 18, 19, and 22. In between, he played in the KBO in 2020 and 21. Uh, he's Right now, he's playing for Lise in the Dominican Winter League. And way back in 2015, he was traded by the Kansas City Royals with Sean Manaya to the <laughs> Oakland Angels or the Oakland Athletics for Ben Zobrist and Cash. <sighs> Going way back. So Aaron that, Brooks. Full circle. Yeah, that's so that's an interesting one to me. You see these 30 guys in their 30s, Preston Tucker's another one yeah. that, like I said, you never know. They have a hot start. Somebody gets hurt. There's a need. They make their way onto the big league roster. And there's always going to be a guy that does come up from AAA. That's your shuttle guy. Like he'll come up for a week, maybe play a game or two, come back. Um, there's always a guy that comes up and kind of like, where did this guy come from? Oh, we sent him to a minor league deal. Something that makes an impact on the team and sometimes fights for a position in season. So um, it's good to have that depth, absolutely. But here on the 17th, and we found this out by uh, following Riley Yeatman, who's um, a Padre minor leaguer down in the ABL right now, Miguel Cienfuegos signed. So he's been not playing baseball for the past two years, uh, but he's won every single award in the Frontier League and is now right down uh, playing in the ABL, which is the Australian Baseball League, uh, for the Adelaide Giants and is shoving down there. And he'll be in the minor league system uh, later this year. Yeah, so, so he's a lefty a lefty reliever. He's 26. He's from Laval, Canada, which is a suburb of Montreal. And he's, in 2021, he played for the Equipe Quebec. And in 2022, he played for the Capital de Quebec. In the Frontier League of Independent Ball. I just wanted to say those names. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it sounds like he walked away from baseball for a year. And then after COVID, for whatever reason, he got back in shape. And now he's he's finally, this is his first, first pro ball contract. First affiliated ball contract. So that means that the Padres have the full seven years of control if they want to hang on to him. So wow. who knows? I don't know. All I know about him is that he's a lefty pitcher. Uh, but you never know when one of these guys might stick. That's okay, rad. so next on the list, um, on the 19th today, Sean Morosi reported that Max Schrock has agreed with the Padres on a minor league contract that includes an invite to Major League Spring Training. Uh, he says it's a good pickup by San Diego. Schrock, 28, is a career 299 hitter in the minors and plays all around the diamond. Um, he's played in 77 Major League games in 2020, 21, and 22 with St. Louis and Cincinnati. Um, most of his Major League time has been at left field. He's played mostly second base in the minors. Uh, uh, but like Morosi said, he's he's bounced all around the in, around the field. Um, he's even pitched a little bit. I'm sure just in garbage time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it seems like he's one of these guys that kind of popped onto the prospect radar like back in 16, 17, and then just kind of plateaued. Um, right. So he's got the bat control. He can spray it all over the place. Doesn't hit for a ton of power. Uh, but you get the versatility, the utility player. 
Um, and then the last one on our, on our list, you alerted me to this one when yeah. we uh, when we came on here. So go ahead. Why don't you take this one? Well, I follow the Tri-City Valley Cats, which I think is the double-A team for the Cincinnati Reds. And they put out there the hot, the stove is hot following a career year in which he was named the uh, Florida League FLP Pro Baseball MVP and All-Star, captured a batting title and tore up all our record books. Brantley Bell is headed to the Potters organization. 28-year-old guy, utility infielder, you know, he uh, he was in the Cincinnati's organization from 2015 to 2021. And this last year, he played an independent ball. So another one of those independent guys that shows that if you continue to play indie ball, that you may get a chance. You know, he's hungry. You know, and, and so, hell yeah, let's go. You know, you need every minor team is doing this and there's nothing new. This None of these signings are out of the ordinary, except for this is kind of the nuts and bolts of what happens during the offseason so teams can start setting their minor league teams going into the spring training. Right. So going from independent league ball to big money, international amateur free agent signings, uh, ESPN Deportes has reported through sources that the Padres are to sign Venezuelan catcher Ethan Salas for $5.6 million. They wrote that uh, San Diego Padres have an oral agreement with the family of Venezuelan catcher Ethan Salas to sign the 16-year-old prospect with a $5.6 million bonus on January 15th when he will formally open baseball's international transfer window. Now, as we've said before, these guys are scouted and recruited by major league organizations when they're 12, 14 years old. So chances are the Padres have had a beat on him. They've had some sort of a handshake, wink, wink agreement with him for a yeah. couple of years. It isn't until January 15th that these guys can actually sign. But in this case, it's no secret that this kid's going to sign with the Padres. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the, was a bargaining chip kind of during the, um, you know, during the uh, Players Association bargaining agreement with, with Major League Baseball was about the international draft. That was kind of nixed because it is a lot. It is almost its own separate contract that you need to have with this. It's such a um, such a big deal and so many working parts when it comes to an international draft, how that's going to work, how you're going to pull the money and all that stuff. But it's just business as usual. I think the picture that they had of him was with a Padre jersey, but it wasn't like at a signing in some room. It was like him out on the field. So they have been in contact with him. He is wearing Padre gear and probably has for a couple of years now. Right. Maybe he's training at their camp down there or something like that. It was like a workout shirt. Yeah. And ever since COVID, it used to be the J2 signings. It used to be uh, June 2nd or July 2nd, right? Now it's in January. They have this, the, uh, the international signings period. Right. So the quote here, considering the Padres total budget for the upcoming international market is a little under $6 million, the amount they are dedicating to Salas indicates how much they value the kid, one of the sources said. Salas, who hits left-handed, was ranked number one on MLB's list of top international prospects eligible to sign in one month. According to scouts, the guy is a catcher with a lot of defensive skills and a bat that could generate a lot of lines and line drives and power at the highest level. And then this quote got me. Ethan looks like a young copy of Joe Maurer. He's tall, a good catcher, and a great left-handed hitter. The kid's a scout's dream. Uh, there was a lot more to the article, but that was the uh, the meat and potatoes of it. But bringing up Joe Maurer, I mean, Joe Maurer yeah. has a good argument to make the Hall of Fame when he comes eligible, I think, next year. But you know, to put that label on 16-year-old kids is just, it's so dangerous. 
And they're so far. It away. really is. Um, it really is. But Joe Maurer was out of high school. He was one of these high, high piped prospects because he could hit good defender behind the plate. He had the maturity. He had the, the body, the frame to fill out and, and carry the power. And what did he do? He went on to become a gold glove winning catcher. Yeah. He won a batting title as a catcher. Um, it's too bad that concussions pushed him off the, the position and kind of hampered his later career. Uh, but you, just to be able to evoke that kind of a name, I mean, that's that's high praise. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be looking for him in spring training next year to see if he gets, you know, eventually he'll get there, probably start in the DR and then work his way maybe in 24 up to uh, stateside, I would think. Something like that. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'm going to look forward to seeing Henry Henry's smiling face out there on the, on the back lots. <laughs> yes, yes. Have you ever had a chance to see Henry Henry in person? Yeah, I watched him. I, I took a bunch of pictures of him last spring training. I was at. He was he was catching balls at a shortstop. Yeah, they, all he, the pitchers like they, <laughs> he was he was taking grounders at shortstop, throwing him over to first. But the guy's got one of these faces. He's got a smile yeah. on his face Trust. that he wears all the time. Yeah, just this this personality just exudes out of the guy. The guy loves having fun, and he's having fun playing baseball and it, it shows because he was just laughing and kicking around and it wasn't serious, but he was in that line. It took several balls and several rounds at shortstop. Well, it's a good way to get loose, yeah. you know? Absolutely. That's what All you right. also do in spring training. Yeah. All right. Well, well Donovan introduce our interview. So let's kick it over to uh, Meredith Wills. Hey, we're joined here with, uh, with our old friend Meredith Wills. Meredith, um, how's it going? It's going. It's definitely going. How Good was the uh, how was the winter meetings experience for you? It was nice to be back. Uh I, I got to meet Donovan in person. That was cool. Finally. And um, you know, I talked his ear off, I'm pretty sure, because that's usually what I do with people. And it was great just I got to see people that I haven't seen in years and I just missed everyone. It's like, you know, it's baseball is my people. I, I loved Astro, but baseball is my people. You know, I found everyone in this industry. And so it was so nice to see human beings again. So the, the typical baseball fan knows you as the baseball astrophysicist who dissects baseballs and has had a couple of reports come out that are very interesting and maybe controversial. Um, but your you work your full time job is for a consulting company that that has something to do with the baseball business, right? Actually, it's a it's a sports technology company, and and so my 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 real job I uh, I work with uh, ball and player tracking data, and um, we actually people have probably seen our stuff like um, we uh, were Pitch FX the original Pitch FX for instance before TrackMan did it, and even the original Statcast. I think it was 2014 um, postseason, but we're now taking the same tech. Uh, we had it in minor league parks for a while, and we're now actually starting this cool new thing where we're putting it in colleges. And so we're we're getting player tracking data on college players, which teams are super excited about because you know you can't get that for amateur scouting. And uh, we're also doing this awesome uh, educational part to it. So like the students at the schools will be able to work with, you know, player data and we're even setting it up so that teams can, you know, essentially find better ways to to get good hires. Um, in fact, I'll do the rest of the 32nd thing, which is we did a data challenge over the summer um, where, you know, it was a student thing. Um, 
they got to work with the player tracking data and we uh we got a ton more entries than we expected uh ended up with six finalists i've discovered in the last few weeks that of the six finalists three have already been hired by major league teams which i'm pretty psyched about so <laughs> wow. like even one more since i saw donovan <laughs> really because you had a, you were talking to the dmx guy yeah it was like, two oh, at the time now it's three and and it's you know who knows maybe we'll have more by next week but like this, we're and we're barely starting, so I'm super psyched because the education side is is like my thing. That's my baby. So I'm really yeah. Well, but that's that's the, what that's what they pay me for, so that I can right, pull baseballs apart on my own nickel. <laughs> okay, so this I'm already going off a of rail. Uh, that's fine. So one of the things that we've covered in our time with this podcast is the contraction of minor league baseball and some of these discussions about where does player development happen? Where does it need to happen? Where could it happen in the future? And I know people point to uh, basketball and football, how a lot of the development from an athletic standpoint happens actually at the college level. And so this this angle of being able to introduce the um, motion and data tracking technology at the college level, now that's putting some of these tools that they're using in the minor leagues, and that's putting it in the hands of the colleges. It's it's both giving those tools for player from a player development standpoint to the college teams, but it's also there's got to be some sort of development contract relationship between the colleges and Major League Baseball for all this scouting data. Well, I mean, as far as the scouting data, that's through us. You know, in fact, teams don't own uh, this. One of the things that I think is great about it is that, you know, so far, because it's been the pro teams that have the, the actual technology, they own the player data, which means that, for instance, things like, you know, say arbitration, they don't include player tracking info in that. It has to be something that's also available to the players for negotiation. But in this case, you know, teams will license the data, but they don't own it. And so, uh, you know, we're actually really psyched at the fact that, you know, we want, we literally want the student athletes being able to say work with their own data, which is right. not something right. that, you know, there are some teams that like, they'll, they'll allow or encourage their players to do that, but only as long as it stays in the office for all intents and purposes. Um, this is, this is not going to be the same kind of thing. So um, that, that's interesting because you know, in colleges, all the coaches wanted to do is win. And but in the same we're setting breath, it up so that coaches can win. We, we, they can win, but they also want the players to develop and get better. And and this tool is, seems like just an excellent way to do that. Mm -hmm. well, I'm psyched. We're, we're uh, yeah, it's, it's everything's been going amazingly well. I'm pretty. So, yeah, so that's all right. That we, was, we, I we, guess, we ostensibly wise at the winter meetings. But there's our plug. <laughs> okay, so let's so let's get let's get into the meat and potatoes of it because really, I mean, the last time I tore baseball to, apart was maybe uh, I don't know, maybe eleven or, or ten. You it's know, falling when, down on the job. Come on. <laughs> and I remember just doing this, and then like I'm just unyarning a baseball. I didn't know yeah. there were different areas, or you know, the, like 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 the earth. There are different levels of of the baseball when it's being gobstopper. Wound. It's more like a gobstopper. Ah, uh, a very, a very boringly colored gobstopper, but jawbreaker. We used to call them jawbreakers. So That's give us a brief, thing. give us a brief refresher on the exact structure of the baseball. So um, for, for those of you who can't see, which is everybody except for Ryan Donovan, um, I have this beautiful uh, show and tell. Uh, so anyway, the uh, baseball, it's a, and this is like literally in the official rules, rule 3.01. 
there are there's basically three main parts to it, which is you have um, a pill, which is it's it's usually called a cushioned cork um, pill, and it will be it's the very center of it is actually cork. There's then two layers of rubber uh, outside of it, black layer and then a pink layer. Um, outside the pill, you have um, three layers of yarn, wool yarn, and they're different thicknesses and, you know, sort of take up different amounts. So like the inner layer, which is the thickest yarn is, is also, you know, I end up measuring using weight because <laughs> that's sort of the easiest way to do it, but that's the biggest layer. It's, it's the heaviest. There's basically meaning the most yarn. Uh, there's then a, um, that that's gray yarn. You then have um, a middle layer, which is white, which is a little thinner yarn. And it's, you know, again, there's, there's a lot less of it. And then there's an outer layer, which is back to the gray yarn, which is the thinnest yarn. And that's, you know, that becomes the outermost layer. There's then on top of that, there's a cotton thread layer, which is not, it, it's basically there to, to make, take all the bumpiness out of the, the ball. Because right. I mean, a ball of yarn is, is not smooth. So it it's, ends up smoothing it out. And then uh, on the very outside, you have two leather covers and they are stitched together with red cotton laces. Although actually the rules just say they have to be colored um, and horse hide or cow hide, obviously in the rules, it still says horse hide, believe it or not. I never <laughs> changed figure. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, so one of the things that you kind of mentioned in there is that the rules, the rules of baseball are actually pretty vague as far as the specifications of the ball. There's a fairly wide range of weights and sizes that the ball needs to fit between. Uh, but from a performance standpoint, you can find some vastly varying, you know, degrees of performance within those guidelines. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, there's, it's, it's actually, it's an interesting um, situation for the way balls are manufactured. And I, I, John Thorne is probably the best person to address this. I need to ask him, which is that you can go back, I don't know how many decades. Um, I, I think the last major change to the rules was effectively the, that it was changed from like an all cork or an all rubber pill to cushioned cork. Um, but otherwise, the rules for making the ball have been the same forever, like, you know, 100 years, kind of forever. And um, yeah, they, they are incredibly broad, um, such that you do get the ball to ball variation. And frankly, that's fine. Um, by the way, that also means like every time you hear somebody say that the balls are within spec, as if that somehow means we're doing it right. All within spec means is that they're not actively violating rule 3.01. Any ball that is not within spec is not actually allowed in a game. So, you know, within spec is a total canard. But um, one of the things that's that's been, I guess I find concerning uh, because it's used as the justification is that the kind of changes that we've seen to manufacturing, um, they don't even violate the rules. So it's not even like, you know, it's, it, the, there are um, for certainly for other equipment changes, uh, even minor ones, if, if anything that like a player would be involved with, um, they actually have to get it approved by the rules committee. So something like a two-toned bat, literally, that's even listed in the rules as something that has to be approved. If you want two colors on your bat, it's got to be approved. Well, funny, but, thing, you, um, funny thing you say that real quick, uh, mm-hmm. going off the rails again. Yeah. Earlier this year, um, Robert Hassel III was always using a pink bat, always used a pink bat. Fin- used last year, used it again this year. And then finally, about a third into the season, um, 
minor league baseball came and said you can't have that bat the pink bat is only for a special um special occasions you know they're only for yeah. just some other thing yeah yeah and so they had them use a completely different bat or at least color so arbitrary Jeez. that's insane yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, well and and a lot a lot of the stuff kind of is but um but yeah the the fact that you don't need to change anything about the rules to make the kind of changes they've made the ball um uh, that that is you know frankly I think that that can also you sort of see that it depends on on essentially Frank it seems to depend on the interview but that does seem to be kind of a tacit justification of actually this change is not that big a deal because it didn't require us going outside the rules <laughs> you know what so. what is that weight variation uh the weight variation is 5 to 5 and a quarter ounces and um which is ends up being about 2.8 grams and so even that has been interesting because um actually no excuse me that's more than 2.8 grams because tenth of an ounce is 2.8 grams it's like five it's a it's a lot no hang on start over (laughs) it's seven grams what am i thinking it's between 142 and 149 grams so it's seven grams okay that's That's, a pretty good about a nickel weighs two and a half grams right so you're talking two a little more than two nickels that's a good amount of weight it's, it's, it's close to three nickels yeah that's um, a much. That's enough weight that a professional player would probably be able to tell the difference if you handed them two balls at the oh, end yeah. of the. Absolutely. I mean, I can tell, and I'm not a professional. Although I think size is easier to tell than weight. Size you can tell really subtly, um, but the uh, yeah, it's it's a. And the thing is, the the weights really do vary that much. Although it's mostly that the covers are where most of the. That's why, like all of the measurements I do are ultimately with with the center which is essentially everything inside the covers. And that's right. because um, until you get to the covers, um, all of the winding takes place on a winding machine that's automated with an automated weight trip. So like it literally is, and, and there's a, there's an old, um, I want to say it's a science channel video or something that you can find. And it's, it's still how what it looks it. like. Yeah, how, how it's made. Which is, yeah. 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 How it's yeah. made. That was the exactly. TV show. I love that show. Right. But, but they're still made the same way. And frankly, they were made the same way decades before that was made. That, yeah, that, so that you video say was done. you say it's a handmade product, and it truly is that they're well. They're... It it is, but the the each layer it, it's it gets to a certain weight when the layers on, and then the machine shuts itself off, and then you have a person come in and they cut the yarn, and you actually do have um you then have that worker weigh that you know that layer at, to make sure that it's been done right. Then they put it on the next machine. So so there's there's someone monitoring it, but the actual you know what stops a given um you know stops a given uh winding is that it hits a certain weight and i've had that confirmed from a couple different directions so then the ball uh, however, is applied sorry. and sewn by hand yeah and then and the, the the covers do do get sewn by hand uh everywhere really there's there's uh to my knowledge there is as yet no economically viable way to put a cover on a baseball uh using a machine uh, I don't know if there are any patents, but it's not really the sort of thing that would be easy enough to do with a machine that I could see it being cheaper to do in any context than paying workers to do it. So, and it's, it's, a, it's a hard skill. Yeah. So, so why all of a sudden, you know, the past few years, there's been a big um, difference in the baseball. Why wasn't this brought up, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I know we all had the dead ball area back, you know, back, they call it the modern era, but that was back in the twenties, right? Then the ball 100 became... years ago, yeah, yeah. Why so much now? Is it because that 
you know, livelihoods and and money is kind of involved. And is it even nefarious well, reasons where Major League Baseball is kind of slightly maybe changing the outcome of a game, which we might get into in a minute or two? The, what, what I guess having looked at enough of these, and, and I mean, I have a, a lot of baseball for, for when I no longer have to look at the current season. Uh, I have a lot of baseballs going back decades where I, I want to see there's, there's definitely some interesting historical stuff. Um, does the pro like not just the process, but literally the internal manufacturing specs appear to be unchanged since, you know, like you know, at least 2000 earlier than that. Um, except until, so, so something like, for instance, 2017 with the home run surge, that sort of, um, I would say as much as anything, that's probably because we had StatCast data and you see spikes like that. And I think what we were seeing was we were seeing a spike that you could track down to part of the manufacturing, but not intent. The laces were thicker. You know, I, I, I would be astonished if somebody had even noticed one, that the laces were thicker or two, if it had dawned on them that, you know, that subtle a change in lace thickness would have ended up having an impact on performance. Like, you know, why would you think that? It's it's a time was a frac it was a you know tiny fraction of a millimeter. Um, so what's different is that starting for the 2020 season, we actually saw intentional changes to the manufacturing process with the goal of changing performance. And so that was when the article came out. Um, in 2021 about the 2020 ball. And it's, you know, I realized it was the COVID shortened season, but based on what I found, by, by the way, I was floored when I found two baseballs. I mean, it was not something I realized at first and sort of, you know, took someone pointing out, you know, you considered maybe there's two kinds, which seemed insane, but not that'd only did it turn out to be. That'd what? be a very Hollywood moment. Like, Oh, Michael Lewis is going to write this book, right? Isn't yeah. that kind of how it's supposed to work? <laughs> yeah. This is the, the, the next money ball. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure it's exactly money ball, but you know, it's like, it just, I, I've been, uh, come on, you, you've an astrophysicist who starts a new career in baseball. who was born on opening day, et cetera. <laughs> I, I, I'm like set to be a Michael Lewis character. Right. Hi, right you know? We just need, we just need the story to, we need the end of the story is all. Okay. So, so now fast forward a couple but, of years and William Bradford Davis just published this article, major mm -hmm. league baseball used at least two types of balls again this year and evidence points to a third. Um, so at what point did you start to realize that I, I guess, is this just a process of over time every year you're trying to dissect baseballs and see what the difference is now? It is now. Because a year uh, ago, I'm sure you weren't planning mm -hmm. on having something like this come out. Uh, well, I mean, if you told me this is this is what the fifth year, sixth study, I think, it's maybe seventh, come to think of it. Anyway, I, I, this is not supposed to be something that I'm doing annually. This was right. never supposed to be annually. In fact, 2019, like it was supposed to be just the 2017 done. But um, yeah, it's, it's now an annual thing. And uh, the number of baseballs goes up every year. Uh, I now, you know, the, the study for uh, for 2021 was i think 169 170 this was 204 uh you know it's gonna go up i i actually um i did figure out because of the way um mlb has has it looks like managed to really streamline and um the the, the way the balls are being distributed is is really well controlled and really efficient um you know it, it, it it's particularly standing out because they have humidors in every park and they have their own game compliance monitors who are MLB employees running the humidors. 
So they're the only ones who are taking balls out and they're making sure that, you know, they're recording which balls are used for which games. But um, I worked it out and I would only need, if I could get, you know, I think it's like four balls per month. If I did the days right per team for the regular season, I could probably get near universal coverage for every type of baseball being used across the entire league, which is works out to 720 baseballs. It's a lot. But it's not nearly as outrageous as you think, considering that they supply <laughs> one point two million. So right. well, I mean, you know. that's a lot of you taking that, that's a lot of your nice. But Donovan, you being... said you knew how to take them apart, so you can help. <laughs> but not scientifically. <laughs> I'm like a five year old. Oh, look at No, no, spring. that's that's by the time after you take the external involved. data, that's actually part of the job. <laughs> I'll be the control. Well, it's funny at the winter meetings, you know, we were we're talking about we're talking about we're talking to a, a fans and friends of ours that not fans but friends of ours that you know went down there and we're like yeah you know this guy he he gets balls all day I'm like okay so next time you get a ball you need to let me or Roy know and you need to send us that ball exactly when how where and why you got that baseball and then send it to Meredith awesome. like we're already trying to get twenty three under wraps over here in San Diego. Yeah. Well, and, and we're, we're, you know, unfortunately because this is becoming like a regular thing we're we're already looking at you know, the best ways to set it up from opening day. And and in particular, you know, some of it is also just uh, keeping stuff going over the course of the season, because you, you definitely will have, the, you know, there's interest early on, there's sometimes interest after some event happens, or there's something interesting that comes up. But uh, you can sort of hit these lags where like, I'll have like weeks and weeks where I can't get people to get back to me, even though they're supposedly collecting baseballs. Well, and so. there's people that, are, you know, the the pro guys that were told you can't send any baseballs and they're like, we don't mind sending any balls, but we don't want to get well, the that's, that, that's that actually baseball employees that, in trouble. I mean, I appreciate uh, just, I guess for people who haven't read the article, um, there was Austin Slater and I really appreciate that he went on the record. You know, so yeah. by name um, and it, even more so because he's now actually on the executive subcommittee for the PA um, and, and I think it's a really big deal, him pointing out that MLB did this yeah. because, you know, it's there and it actually comes up in, in this, the SI article, the 2020 ball or the, excuse me, the 2020 ball, Stephanie Epstein wrote, um, where there's been, there's been kind of internal pressure for a while, but nothing, nothing overt. And in this case, you know, Austin, you know, he, he was planning on helping me and he, Ended up, it somehow got out that, that, you know, that he was going to help me. And he ended up with a message that it, it came from a, you know, sort of through, through someone came from a very high level MLB executive saying, by the way, if you help, not, not just like literally, if you help Meredith <laughs> by name and get her baseballs and they knew they couldn't do anything to him, but they said, right. you know, that, that they, that anybody who was caught helping him could be, I think the term was subject determination. Yeah. We're you not going to hurt you. We're going to hurt your family. Yeah. We're not going to hurt you. I mean, you. it's, it's just the family. idea that like, why I, I don't, I still don't understand why it would be so important to MLB to, it, it almost feels like a Streisand effect actually. And that's a very Hollywood moment there too. Like it'll be, you know, he's in the clubhouse after a game or whatever, and just kind of get ready to like, Hey, Hey Austin. Yeah. So yeah, we know that, um, if you let anyone give baseballs to Meredith, you know, it'll be some other name too. It'll be like to Janet, you know, from wherever. Um, yeah. You're not going to get Michael Lewis. It doesn't do know. fiction. Exactly. I mean, you know, if you can use my name, why not? It's, it's, 
Janet, Janet rhymes with more things, but right, right. Um, <laughs> so I was surprised, you know, that you know you saw variations of balls that were over in Yankee Stadium, obviously with with the the Texas Rangers 50th anniversary ball. All the, a lot of those Goldilocks balls were somehow found their way to New York. Well, you know, actually, you one that one that one that I should bring up is that there there were two teams where we found the the that had commemorative balls. Texas was one. The Angels had a 20th anniversary ball for their 2002 World Series. And so, frankly, I, I realize that Angels fans are, you know, see this as somehow an indictment of Judge and that Otani should have gotten it. They really need to examine their souls because those commemorative balls, you know, they weren't all of them. Right. But they were getting some. So yeah. I'm not really sure that they can... Frankly, I, I'm not. I don't know how much it would have affected overall performance anyway. Not to mention that pitchers would have, if like it's a ball that's more, you're going to get more home runs. Yeah. Does that hurt Otani's pitching numbers? But the point being, they can't say judge this Otani that because right. really we're only a couple teams that had that kind of ball. Okay, so I kind of say we kind of skipped ahead of some stuff um, Please, because we can re rewind, as, yeah. as part of Meredith's study, what she found was that there were the balls fell into three buckets. There were the balls that seemed to be left over from the 2020, maybe 2021 first half. They were left over from 2021. That's confirmed actually. Okay. Every, so those... Everything that I say as leftover or not, I've, I've dated very exactly to when they were manufactured. So I can identify the production year. No problem. So those were hot air quotes, hotter yeah. balls. Live, and then hot, there yeah. was a, a new, there was a manufacturing change and the next batch of balls were not as hot. You could say dead. They're not dead ball, dead, but deader. And then there were another bin of balls that were somewhere in the middle. And that's what Meredith has called the Goldilocks ball. There were 36 balls in her study that fit in that category that were not too heavy, not too light, but just right. This is a direct quote from the article of mm -hmm. those. We found most of those, most in one of three situations, postseason games, including the World Series, the All-Star Game and Home Run Derby, regular season games that used balls with special commemorative stamps, such as Texas Rangers 50th anniversary ball. And, and now Angel. we know the Angels 20th anniversary World Series. Uh, the only golden bo Goldilocks balls they obtained from the regular season that did not have commemorative stamps were from Yankees games. Yeah, actually, I, I should clarify that uh, they used Yankees games, I think, just it's it's kind of pithy. Um, what what we found wasn't. I mean, what I will say is every ball we found that was actually a Yankees game ball was either Goldilocks or live. Oh, ooh. yeah, which did not ooh. quite come out in the article because. But but the point is, I didn't find any dead balls that were used right. in Yankees games. Mm. Yeah, now you're talking home and away. No, I'm talking home Yankees at Yankee okay. Stadium. Okay, which is um, really which is really how they control the distribution of the baseballs. Right, right. The and balls are sent out early in the season, right? No, and actually, they're sent out once a month. Once a month. Okay. They're resupplied every month. But then, so the Yankees are going to come to town the third week of April. Mm -hmm. How do we know that they're going to pull that box of balls, but they have um, control well, actually, over which balls go to thing. Yankee I Stadium? Mean, what what we did found and this I don't think we went into this in the article, but um, we were able to source a couple different ways that uh, I mean, first of all, teams were only being supplied like one or two um, there for I think the article refers to a batch number, which is a specific it's, you know, B.A. And there's there's like a four digit number. But the 
the batch numbers, you know, any given batch number that's on the box does correspond to all them all having the same batch code on the inside. So teams are getting, you know, one or two of those a month. And within my data, because I had really good sourcing on when things are used, I ended up only finding, you know, one or two batches, batch codes per team per month, hence 720 balls, probably covering the whole league if you do it strategically. But the, uh, so game balls will only be from that stadium. And even more so now because MLB, you know, with, with humidors in all 30 parks, and it's not just that, but MLB actually runs the humidors. So like there's a game compliance monitor. There's the same people who, you know, the, this job was was or, originated because of having somebody uh, to make sure that electronic sign stealing was not happening. It's the same job, except now part of the job is that they actually keep track of, you know, the balls coming out of the humidor for the games. And they'll actually record, you know, that the, in this case, it's the batch number, that BA number. Uh, and that does get MLB that gets reported to MLB, but um, it's just it's a much more controlled process. You're not going to get balls mixed in from anywhere, particularly because those balls have to be in the humidor for two weeks before they're used. <laughs> and even when they're rubbed up, if they're not from that day, they no longer are even viable for like you can't use them in games the next day. So um, you're not going to get game balls mixed in from another team, whatever was sent to that team, those are the only ones you're going to see. And frankly, they are only getting monthly shipments. And over the course, I mean, I have a few teams where, yeah, I got a lot over the course of a month and I still only saw two batch codes. Right. So, you know, it, the idea of, of directing to a game or, or even a series seems really tough. Um, you know, it's just, I, I can't see it. It would take so many people in on it and so many moving parts to work that I don't really see the point. On the other hand, that would also suggest that, you know, say the live balls that I found used by the Yankees, they would have been used all month. Where's you know? my tin hat? <laughs> well, but but I, I mean, the game compliance monitor would have to be in on it. The equipment manager who loaded the thing right. would have to be in on it. I mean, right. see, see where I'm going? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, the umpires would have to be in. I mean, just no. Right. No, that's so, ridiculous. But what we do know is then for Albert Pujols' uh, season, they were just grooving in pitches because they love the guy, right? There was like, here, um, here hit it. Well, you hit know it. what? <laughs> one of the things, and, and if listeners can help with this, uh, one of the things, and this is true of data in general, what I found with my data, like when I say I only found, you know, all the Yankees balls that I found, Yankees game balls that I found were either Goldilocks or live. That's not the same thing as those are the only ones they use. That's just all my sample is, right. is that. Uh, we also found other Goldilocks balls that were, uh, I could source back to the Yankees for batting practice, either because it was home batting practice for them in Yankee Stadium, or it was them as the away team and teams bring their own balls. And again, yeah. we double check this with sources. Um, and that's not to say that other teams didn't have Goldilocks balls as batting practice. Frankly, they get mixed up. You see that all the time. But I didn't find any other batting practice balls or any batting practice balls with any other teams that were Goldilocks, only the Yankees. So so my point, I guess where I'm going with that is I didn't have any St. Louis Cardinals balls from like the second half of the season. Okay. And I only saw Goldilocks balls in the second half. Hmm. 
it's entirely possible Pujols was hitting them, but I don't know that. <laughs> right. it's, it's a serious question. I want to know. No. Yeah, absolutely. So my question is, this, just as a fan's perspective, like you get a ball thrown in the dirt, they toss it over. The kid mm-hmm. picks it up, puts it in a bucket. Yep. Where do those baseballs go? Do, do they get folded back into the empire? Or do those baseballs, you know, the ones that get scuffed up on one pitch, they get thrown out? They get put into um, batting well, practice? Well, uh, it, it depends. I mean, in, in the past, they would have gotten authenticated. And I think they still do, although um, there were far fewer authenticated balls for sale this season, which was a little odd, partly because, you know, frankly, we were trying to buy them by the end of the season right. and we couldn't get them. <laughs> um, I'm serious. Look online. Yeah. You will not find a single authenticated Yankees ball for sale, for oh, example. It's, it's, it was so frustrating. And it was a little odd because it was like such a big money making thing for MLB for a while. Yeah. I mean, well, again, I don't I'm not reading anything into it. I know that's not like about what I'm doing. Forget that. You know, the money would mean more anyway. But still, it, it's just like that was such a big deal a while back. Yeah. And there were oftentimes there were not that big a deal of a ball. It's some journeyman, my, journeyman infielder grounded out off of some, you know, journeyman mm-hmm. pitcher. And you yep. can buy this baseball for 50 bucks. Yep. It's like, I don't know why somebody wants to spend $50 on that baseball, but there's somebody out there that does. And there's well, a market and that's, for that's, it. Uh, you know, just short divergence. That's why they... You know, they ended up mixing in a different kind of baseball in the 2019 postseason because when you ran the numbers, it looked like they had run out of balls because they decided that they were going to mix. They they focused on game used authenticated balls and selling them. And unfortunately, they just didn't seem to have enough for the postseason. So what are you going to do? By the way, those turned out to be 2020s that were sort of sent back in time. It's like they pulled from the 2020 stock for the 2019 oh. postseason. So that's why we started seeing the ball jump a little bit more because people were talking Actually, about the it. ball died in the 2019 postseason. That was the thing. Like they killed the ball again for 2020. They turned it back into the, like the one that had been used for every year, except 2019 before they then went and deadened the ball proper. Like they, they didn't start get making dead balls till like October. I want to say, okay. but it was after, it was after the postseason that, that it, we would have started seeing them. So from a manufacturing standpoint, what is the difference between a live ball, a dead ball and a Goldilocks ball? Um, the, uh, I guess it, from from sort of a, a, a large scale perspective, the, the difference is really how tightly the yarn is wound on the inside. So uh, the reason that the dead balls are are the lightest is because there's just physically less yarn on the inside. But all the balls are, still come out as the same size. Again, probably a graph that would have been cool to have in the article. But uh, so if you have less yarn, but it's got to be the same size, you end up winding the ball more loosely. So that'll that can be the case. Well, as soon as you wind it more loosely, that means that when it hits the bat, it's going to squish down more. And so, you know, the, the term is coefficient of restitution, but really it just means the trampoline effect isn't as good. It, it squishes right. more. It doesn't it doesn't have as much energy off the bat, doesn't come off the bat as hard. Uh, so when they deaden the ball, that's what they did. But with the Goldilocks ball, the weight is in between the two. And so what that looks like is that they would have tightened the yarn winding slightly. So it's, it's, you know, it's, there's slightly more trampoline effect, but not as much as, um, as what it would have been with the live ball. And by the way, trampoline effect, if you haven't run into, this is what every player uses. So it is a technical term, depending on who you're talking to. So 
I'm familiar. I'm well familiar with it through golf because this is what they were talking about all through the 2000s. Oh, perfect. The balls, okay. the balls were getting livelier, and the faces, the clubs were getting livelier. Um, I just pulled up how it's made uh, on YouTube here in the background, just for my own uh, entertainment. But for the so baseball from a, one, yeah, yeah. But for for a scientific standpoint, you can tell this just simply by weighing the core cont- components of the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the um, with the the. What's interesting, uh, and I've actually had the discussion offline, um, when they deadened the ball, MLB actually came out and they first they told SI, uh, you know, because we said, okay, that I'd found this this difference. And it was in particular, there were differences to two of the, the, the layers. So there was a lot less yarn for the innermost layer. There was, there was three and a half grams less. There was actually slightly more yarn for the outermost layer. So there was a two and a half gram difference, but it was because there was three and a half grams less for the innermost and actually one gram heavier for the outer, which was another reason that like it was, would have been hard to argue that it was somehow random. You don't change two layers and it's random. Um, and so they actually came out and they said, yeah, we, we specifically changed the winding tension on the innermost layer. So that's actually in like the memo that they sent out. That's what they told SI before they sent out the memo in the same wording, but we'll just leave that alone, you know? <laughs> right. So yeah, just anyway. Um, but, but yeah, so for this one, it, it's actually, it is another, that was the, the dead ball had an additional gram in the outermost layer. This Goldilocks ball, the additional gram is in fact, once again, in the outermost layer. Uh, so that inner winding layer is, is still the same weight. However, there's now just there's less space to wind that into. So it's going to be wound more tightly. It's a density thing. It's really right. the, the, the simplest way to think of it. So Major League Baseball did announce that they did change the, the manufacturing type of the ball, right? And that's just for the dead the- ball. They have not, they have not said anything about the Goldilocks ball. They're telling you, me my data are wrong. But do you anticipate that, 2023 will have several different balls, or do you think there'll maybe be one or two different balls? Oh, these were the leftover from 22, and these were well, we found these in the back, and they're 2021. Well, and- they're they're almost certainly going to have 2022 leftovers um, because they're now the way that that and this has started with the the COVID uh, COVID shortened season. The reason we had leftover 2020s was because they only played 60 games, and right. what are you going to do with a bunch of leftover baseball? A lot, like hundreds of thousands. Um, hence, having leftover 2020s and 2021 that then carries forward. Um, I did find, you know, particularly the postseason sample was so good this year that I really was able to get incredibly good coverage of the gold, like the batches that the Goldilocks balls were made in, and they cover like it's a 12 month production cycle. They literally cover like the last four months of the production cycle, which by the way, does seem to also be kind of a pattern is when they're making whatever the new or interesting ball is, it's covering about a third of production, which by the way, means that it's too much to have only one kind of ball, you know, like you can't play an entire season on just two thirds of production. Um, So the, the original, it was a test run thing that they said about the, the 2020 ball would, you know, you can claim that because you only played 60 games, but no. Um, so, yeah, we're going to see Goldilocks balls okay. um, next season because, you know, they, they didn't use three months of three months of production or excuse me, four months, a third of production just in the postseason. But hopefully or, it's all Goldilocks balls. It would be nice. I'd like right. that. Um, you know, uh, the, the problem, like I'm not I guess I'm not willing 
to speculate because I'd like to see it be all one kind. Um, I do find it concerning that we are now three years in to them making two kinds of baseballs. They've now done this for three years. And and like that, that to me feels like the buried lead. It's like, you know, fine. They've got more than one kind fine. You know, they're, they're right. They're, they're using them in these very particular circumstances, which, you know, could be questionable, but they keep making some, it's really important to somebody for them to have two baseballs. This is the first year where it seems to be, there might be some kind of method to the madness, right. but before right. then I couldn't have told you. Well, now, and now they, that you've been able to show that there's a, 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 an intentional distribution, you know, for, for certain ballparks, that certainly adds a nefarious angle to it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, this is one where like, there's a reason that the, the studies are no, the original, the early studies were just the data, you know, they, they were ones that, you know, were my byline that I wrote. Um, there's a reason that starting in 2020, I have not been the byline anymore. And that's because right. the questions that need to be asked are not scientific questions. Mm. I'm the scientist and I, right, I want right. to stay you, the scientist. You know, the, right. I, I don't have a dog in this fight. It's just literally about the data. This Which, by right. the way, this means I, I have no problem with Commissioner Manfred saying I'm wrong, but he needs to provide evidence of right. the wrongness of which he is, you know, which he says that I am suffering from. You uh, can't just call it fun. fake news and call it fake news. You just can't. You OK, if it's I I, I, it with- I will admit that, that you know, I, I, I he, he I like, you know, wrong is, is kind of sweet, actually, you know, just it's pithy, you know. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, it's just wrong. And, and it's, I will, I will give him credit. I don't actually, you know, people are getting on his case about stuff. I'm not really sure that this problem is, is something that he focuses his attention on. No, but Um, when it comes to, he'd have a a more interesting response than wrong. If this was a priority. Wrong. You know, it, it it, it is. You know, people's careers are like are, are being affected by this, um, mm-hmm. both positive and negative. And so you hear a lot of this this past couple of seasons is the players going, this is different. This ball doesn't work. This is not. They throw it out. You see it throughout throughout baseball. Guy gets throw a ball in, looks at it. Ah, fuck that. You know, gets another ball. Mm-hmm. Just there's mm-hmm. something about the ball. If it's psychosomatic or if it's something they don't feel right, um, that. But well, part like of the, the problem is that you can't separate that anymore. I mean, I, I find it, uh, I absolutely had situations where, you know, player would send something and say, these are different. No, actually they weren't, but it be psychosomatic and just, well, and that's, it, it, you know, it, the field was different, but the balls themselves weren't. And this is where that variation comes in. You know, it's like one had a much thicker cover than the other for the leather covers. And that ends up affecting the, 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 um, the feel. Uh, one, let's see, where's, not not that anybody can see this, but you you two can. So this is actually this is one of the dead balls that I actually have had in a humidor recently to make sure that it stayed squishy. And this thing is really squishy. It does not take much for these dead balls to get squishy. Like, and I I doubt MLD tested this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 not something that would have come up because uh, it's I don't know. I mean, hopefully it would have occurred to me to test it, but uh, the the problem is that. You know, this, 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 the idea of, of the dead balls being squishy and for, I mean, they, when they, they end up expanding in the humidor, uh, they, I've, I've had some, there's one great video that I, I took for some friends where they'll, when they, when they go in the humidor, you know, they're, they tend to be dried out 
when they expand, the wool expands. It's, it's like frizzy hair, basically. So it'll shrink down when it's dry, and then it expands again when you add humidity. The problem is that it's not like the ball knows it's supposed to expand spherically. It's just going to press out. It presses out more where it's being pressed in less, which means along the seams, because look, you've got a break in the covers. Yeah. So by virtue of putting these dead balls in a humidor, you actually end up distort. I mean, they, the seams will get bigger, but you, you still have to distort them. Um, not to mention the fact that they're you're putting them on a shelf. If these were in egg crates, maybe, but you'll hear players refer to dents. They're getting flat spots sitting on the shelves as they expand. Wow. This is something that I found by accident last year. I just sort of started, you know, did not know this stuff was going to happen, but I actually started playing around with like, what could I do with the DIY humidor? And um, there's one great video that I took where it's like the flat spot was so apparent. You know, I could like knock the ball and, you know, like an egg would just like, you know, weeble wobble, it would just go back to like where it was. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not. And again, it's, it's, it's an unforced error, but you also have, you have players that, what I will say this, I, I, I kind of got a kick out of, I never expected there to be a baseball that both hitters and pitchers could agree on. This was so universally hated. I don't think anybody liked this ball. It's always one or the other. Right, right, right. Well, so it was dead off the bat, but then it was slick in the pitcher's hand, right? Was that the issue? Well, it's slick. um, It's actually spongy. I think think depending on how they were rubbed up, they could have been slick. But in my experience, like I, I actually, even when it's, you know, even if it's not like fresh out of the humidor, as it were, um, I, you can tell, like if you've got one that's, that's dead versus one that's not, you can tell. They, yeah, I got the, a the, bucket of dead balls down, downstairs where they've been in batting practice for so long. They're just some of them. Oh, no, are... no, this is different. This is not school. No, this, the actual dead, I, this is, this is like literally the, the dead ball that they started making in 2020. They feel different, and once you once you sort of realize what you're you're feeling for, and particularly now that they've all been in a humidor, because after a while it doesn't even seem like they they dry. I think you have to like put them under like super dry conditions to kind of get them back to comparable. It's like they seem to stay squishy. Um, but yeah, I, I, so there are other professional leagues in in the world. You know, has this ever been an issue with Japan? I've never heard an issue being the KBO in Japan or any of the other leagues have worried about what the baseball is. Is that just because they don't care? Because wasn't somewhere in the article was it the KBO that changed the ball? The, 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 um, the, the NPB. Well, there's NPB. two. The NPB uh, actually did. Their commissioner was forced to step down in 2014 because they secretly changed the ball and didn't tell anyone. And that's apparently a much bigger deal in Japan than here. Uh, so he, he did step down. Uh, the KBO deadened their ball in 2019. And uh, that one, it was just done very differently. Like so far, we've had changes since, by the way, these changes did start after MLB purchased drawings. Okay. So I think that's been part of the goal, um, even though they haven't disclosed it when they've been doing it, it does appear to be part of you know what their intent is is to somehow change things you know deaden it off the bat whatever um the kbo deadened the ball in 2019 but they were extremely public about it uh they there were there were actual like studies and articles that came out uh the 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 specific changes that were being made and required from skyline the manufacturer were made public um, by the way, one gram heavier being one of them, which is why uh, the idea of a single gram difference 
seems entirely reasonable to me, you know, especially since Rawlings has made it clear that they produce the best, most consistent baseballs in the world. So if they are insisting that somehow their uncertainties are worse than the KBO's skyline balls, then they can have one or the other as far as I'm concerned. You know, either either you at least match what Skyline's doing or you don't claim that your baseballs are the best in the world. Um, but they were very public with it. Uh, the There was actually a, a COR, coefficient of restitution requirement, that Skyline failed in the first go around. And that was public. That was made public. So they had to go and do it again. But this this was a very this was a, a transparent process all the way through. And in the end, they they did get something that they wanted. And the ball was on average, I want to say a fly ball was like 12 to 15 feet less off the bat. Wow. So and, and you think about, you know, again, one gram difference. And and it, the, the size, you know, it was it was one gram heavier, one um, one mil, uh, millimeter around like circumference millimeter larger and yeah by the way that does I, i've played with that that actually does work out one gram will that's it's not like you're never going to find in the diameter it really is the circumference one millimeter um and and then there was a, a change to the cor but very subtle difference that made a huge change in performance so um i remember uh i was in touch with the home run committee member about that study when things were going on, it was, I forget it was 2019 or 2020, but his response was, oh, I hadn't heard of that. And it was, he was not making it up. He clearly had no idea that the KBO had done that. So it's not something that um, if Rawlings is using that info, it's not something that's being sort of publicly disseminated within MLB for the people who are then testing the baseball. Well, even here, I've got your article. I've got your article in front of me right here, and your group of the Goldilocks balls and the dead balls are roughly one gram apart, I and mean, it's no coincidence. Yes. I no, I think I think a gram is 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 pretty much. It, it just, frankly, knowing that the way that the the automated systems work, because don't forget, I haven't. This isn't the first time I found a gram difference in that outer yarn layer. I found a gram difference in the outer yarn layer from the live to the dead ball too. So it's like, uh, you know, another way to think of it is that this this outer yarn layer is two grams heavier than the outer yarn layer was for the live ball, you know. You so know, in, in, in Major League Baseball, the owners didn't know any about this. This is actually just the company, Major League Baseball, that does this. They didn't say, hey, we're changing these things. Owners, um, it may affect your players. <laughs> it may affect your, you know, outcome mm-hmm. of games. Yeah, I, I'd like to call on Roy. Uh, there's one particular owner who may have very good knowledge of what Rawlings Sports is doing. Actually, I don't think that um, I, this is this is not how would I put it? I think this is correct, but it's not something that like it, it's got to be confirmed better. I don't believe the Sidlers have controlling ownership anymore. In fact, I believe MLB may have controlling ownership. They, they I believe they still own a portion but a very small portion, not 75%. Yeah. And I wouldn't think in a million years that Peter Seidler would give a rip about what, what they're doing in the manufacturing side of a baseball. You know, he's, he's got other things that he's worried about, you know, where he's going to come up with these billions of dollars to pay all these players, but I'm not complaining about that being a Padres fan. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, kudos, kudos to owners who are actually willing to play, willing to pay players even close to what they're worth. You know, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Well, God, Meredith, that's a lot to okay. chew on. We- so we're coming down to the Sorry. closing stretch here. <laughs> um, 
I, I do want to know, did you find any differences in the texture of the leather and the tackiness in the way the baseballs were prepared at all throughout your study? Um, not really. Uh, you know, just the, the, the closest would be just that the humidor had really had an effect. Um, other than that, I mean, there's, I know they tried to standardize the rubbing up partway through the season. I didn't notice a difference, frankly, partly because I'm not sure the rubbing up had ever been much of an issue anyway. Uh, but the, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't find anything in particular that, that, sort of spoke to preparation being different. I did try to get some of the pre-tacked balls that were being tested in double A, never managed to track those down. Um, and so that's, that's uh, you know, but, but it sounds like, you know, frankly, people associated with the teams didn't either. You know, if you read those articles, like literally the pitching coaches were having to steal them so that they could bring them and use them in the bullpen so that the pitchers could try them out. It's kind of funny. Ooh. Yeah. Evan <laughs> Drellis did a great, article on that early in the season oh i gotta track that down i'm pretty sure oh I yeah it, but I fabulous it. fabulous every <laughs> speaking of another ball everyone could agree on is hating no. we had evan on a long long time ago back when the the minor league pay was a really was mm-hmm. really just starting to come to uh come to vogue or into focus yeah yeah well hey yeah. meredith mm-hmm. we we talked to you way more often or at least i do talk to you more often during the day every day a lot uh than we had to come <laughs> on the podcast which is almost hey. You know, we 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 want more Meredith on the podcast. I uh, love having you during the day and chat, but we really appreciate you taking the time and and uh, coming on and explaining all this stuff to us and our listeners and let the tin foil hats explode on. I, I leave the tin foil hats to you guys. Sorry. <laughs> if anybody out there wants to uh, supply some baseballs for your study, how do they go about that? Well, uh, probably the easiest way is to just drop me a DM on Twitter. But frankly, if they reach out to you guys, I yeah. can give you information to pass on to people with a, we have a shipping address that's set yeah. up. So frankly, if you know people who wish to, you know, remain covert, anonymous, whatever, that's fine. I, I even have a way for them to do that because we've had to, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, I don't think we have that level of access. It would be it would be fans out there that collect foul balls because we know some guys that are at probably 40 plus games hawking yeah. foul balls before the game. I ball hawks are the best. I live for ball right. hawks. Any any San Diego ball hawks, you will be some of my favorite people in the world if you help. <laughs> so yeah, you can period. find you can find Meredith at BBL underscore astrophysics. With no I. Oh, I didn't even notice it's, that. Yeah. How long have you been mixed? You've been mistyping my, my Twitter handle for all this time and that's why I never get tagged in anything. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Sorry, it's, it's I did that years ago when handles were like you could only put in a certain number of characters, mm-hmm. so it's pretty old. But well, anyway, we, will, um, we we really appreciate the time, and we will talk to you soon. Okay. <laughs>